You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Darshan Talks. I'm your host, Darshan Kulkarni. It's my mission to help you trust the products they depend on. As you know, I'm an attorney, I'm a pharmacist, and I advise companies with FDA-regulated products. So if you think about drugs, wonder about devices, or obsess over pharmacy, this is the podcast for you. Um, I should specify I'm an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. I'm a pharmacist, but I'm not your pharmacist. So this is neither legal advice nor clinical advice. Uh, I do these uh, live streams because they're a lot of fun, and I find myself learning something new every single time. Like, our, like from our guest today. But it's always nice to know when someone's listening. So if you like what you hear, please like, leave a comment, please subscribe. If you actually have questions, please ask the questions. If you um, want to share it, we'd love, to, we'd appreciate you sharing the document as well. Um, if you want to reach me, you can always find me on Twitter, Darshan Talks, or just go to our website, darshantalks.com. Our podcast today, our live stream today, um, is going to be about engagement. And I think our guest today is, a bit of an expert in that in that space, and we'll talk a little bit more about his expertise. And he's been a guest with us before, so I'm really excited to have him on today. Um, I, I have um, I have a tight timeline with him, so I want to be respectful of that. So we're going to be asking and peppering him with questions throughout. So um, if you care about today's discussion, if you're in the engagement space. Um, you probably should be listening in. Um, I, I should specify that our guest for today is uh, the executive director colleague. Uh, and, and as of last week, he's the executive director, director colleague, uh, leadership and digital communications at Beijing, the, uh, the global biotech company. Pretty sure I mispronounced that, even though I asked our guest, how do you pronounce it? But ladies and gentlemen, our guest for today, Bob Libby. Hey, Bob. All right, Shan, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. Great to be with you. Thanks uh, for having me back. Thanks again for coming back. So let, let's sort of jump into it real quick. So mm -hmm. first of all, you started in your role. Let me start from the basics. How did you choose Beijing? First of all, Beijing, Beijing. 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 How did you choose Beijing? How did you decide that that is the role that's right for you? If, I, if I'm someone in transition, how, do you, how should I or anyone else go, this is the right fit for me. Um, and, and how do you make those decisions? Well, that's a great question, Darshan. And I think it might be different uh, or a little different for everyone. In my uh, situation, uh, I was actually consulting with Beijing in, in the same areas uh, I'm responsible for now. And I did that for some three months um, before this became a full-time role. So I had a really good view of the company, its leadership, um, uh, the colleagues in the um, uh, department, in the corporate affairs department. Um, I knew uh, the VP of the department, having worked with her in a previous role. A great deal of respect uh, for her, uh, Shreya Johnny, um, and she's building a great function and um, you know just a terrific opportunity. Uh, so I did have that advantage of a preview, if you will of the company um, and the function. So so you had some um, things that um, that you already had a preview, but you're a consultant before the, this gig. So when you were consulting, you had several other opportunities and, and we aren't gonna name names or anything, but what made you go, this is the right one as opposed to something else? 
you, you obviously knew what worked, but what what have been in the past, not just necessarily in the immediate past, but in the past before, things that you knew were not a good fit for you? What should someone be looking for to say, yeah, we seem to be clashing here. And, and what should you be thinking about? Well, um, you you mean about what might not be a good fit, is that right? Correct, correct. Well, I you know, I think, first of all, there's a whole um, element of human instinct. You know, if you don't feel a connection, you don't feel um, like you're getting direct responses to the questions you raise. I mean, this is obvious, but I think you've got to trust your instinct. I think um, also you have to assess the opportunity and how it fits with where you're at in your career um, and, and to switch back to the positive side. In this case, you know, this is an opportunity to, to really build a function in a, a, a fast growing company and, um, you, you know, um, a place where uh, leadership values communications. You know, I think that alignment of values is important when it comes to your professional skills. I think a larger alignment of values is um, important as well. And certainly that was there. But if you're not feeling that, if you don't have that sense, then I think um, you, you've got to look at the next opportunity. Very cool. So so it's funny you talk about alignment of values. You talk about the right fit. You, Bob, are actually in the role where you actually help define what a company's values are. You, you help sort of, and when I say define, you're, you're putting out those messages. And, and you informed me that you're working on things like uh, internet content and planning and strategy. So as you're defining this, as you're going, what are the right words to communicate? Um, what are some initial considerations you have on how do you make that connection? How do you express um, to the audience what you're trying to do? Like, do you think generationally, for example, like I've been having some conversations with, with people going, I just think differently from a millennial and from a generation Z. Um, and, and, or, or do you kind of go, no, people are, people are people and we can talk to them in the same way. So love to hear some feedback there. Yeah. I think, you know, at, at the level of language, you know, I think people are people. Um, and I think, you know, certain basics, like, you know, keeping it simple, simple language, simple construction, keeping it short, which is a little bit of a nod, um, uh, to millennials and Gen Zers and, and, and some others, but really works uh, for all audiences now. The, the importance of keeping it short has never been um, clearer to me with the continued rise in activity online across all platforms, um, including uh, you, you know run-of-the-mill email, which I think on average totals uh, 120 or so pieces coming in and going out of the average worker's um, um, inbox per day. So I think those two things are very important. I think where you might see some differences in, is in how people prefer to receive their information, you know, generational differences. And, um, you know, that cuts in a lot of different directions. Um, and yet there's a limit to how much you can um, segment um, um, in terms of delivery because you can only run so many delivery mechanisms, right? And the other thing I would say is that, you know, for all the importance of um, good, um, consistent, clear communication in reaching uh, colleagues, for example, um, you know, actions are just as important or more important. I mean, that old saying, actions speak louder than words. 
you know, you've got to be in a place and, and be working um, as I'm lucky to with a leadership team that, 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 that acts on the words um, that are spoken and delivered uh, because that's what, you know, people are looking for is, is any misalignment of that, any say do um, gaps, if you will. So, you know, and that's, I think that applies to everyone as well without regard to generation. Which, which is really interesting because um, one of the key pieces of communication, especially now, especially as I start talking to younger people, and I hate not including myself in that anymore, but I don't fit into the younger people anymore. But as I talk to younger people, they, they almost speak in sound bites. It's short bursts of information. I guess my question for you is, um, and, and you actually specify, you, you actually emphasized that a, a few seconds ago. You talked about keeping it simple. You talked about keeping it short. Does that mean long form content's going away? Does that mean that the role of a soliloquy, for lack of a better term, is is it's for a bygone day? No, I don't. I don't think that's true. I think actually there's been some comeback of of long form. And I think it continues to come back. I think there's a place for it. I think the pendulum swung so hard and so far uh, to short form in, in the sort of soundbite approach that you just described um, that there was an inevitable uh, rebound. And, you know, there are certain stories that you just can't tell in 100 or 200 words or you can't capture in a tweet. Um, uh, that's what links are for, of course. Um, but if you're talking about like profiling a, 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 an individual with an interesting story, you know, 700, 800, you know, 1,000 words, 1,100 words, which I think is about the average length of a feature in the New York Times is entirely appropriate and will be read if it's presented in an engaging way. You know, and uh, that includes everything from, you know, a great engaging headline to good art, that which obviously helps stop people, you know, when they're scrolling through um, whatever channels they're scrolling through and you're delivering on um, a great lead that really is focused and gets to the point or somehow some other way draws people in. Um, you know, you can't go with a steady diet of that, but I think it really adds to the mix. And you know, I've taught um, writing in a number of um, uh, outlets, if you will, you know, at the graduate level, um, in-house at conferences and so on. And people often raise this question about, you know, how long should a story be? And the old response was, well, as long as it takes to tell it. Um, I, you know, that doesn't really give the kind of guidance people are looking for. But, you know, what I say when I'm asked specifically about long form, I, I you know, it's certainly fine to go a thousand, eleven or even twelve hundred words if the story will carry it. Um, I, I love this comment, uh, by the way. Thank you. Um, I don't have time to write you a short. Yeah. I, or I think that he might have said I would have written a shorter note, but I didn't have the time. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to write tightly. Um and that's something writers and editors have to be careful of also is that when they're, you know, writing in long form that they don't get loose and that they don't go on and on. Um, you know, as I just said, if, if, if that's what it takes to tell the story, then that's what you need to do, you know, is tell it in long form. Um, you just got to make sure it carries all the, all the way through the close. 
So, so it's interesting. You're talking about telling the right story. You're talking about the the content size. You're talking about the things that drive content. You're talking about art headlines, uh, the the appropriate lead, and even considering the audience itself. But let me ask you this question: When you're starting to create a profile piece, do you start off by going, "Let me first do an SEO read on what do people want to hear about, and then let me feed that monster," or do you go, "I have an opinion. I want to put that out there." And then I'll figure out the SEO from there. How does a professional writer approach this? Well, I think, I, well, I think you know, different professionals might approach it in different ways. I mean, my approach is to try to find the story behind the obvious story, mm. right? So, you know, it's not just why did so and so join this particular company in this particular role, but what might have shaped the decision-making framework, what were the influences on that person at a younger age or in other roles um, in school, who knows where, um, that really motivated them and set them up in a place to make that ultimate decision. The, the decision to join a company um, isn't half as interesting as the motivations behind it, in my view. So um, I would look at that first, and then obviously you've got to consider a lot of things, like including SEO, um, uh, but I would never start with that. I mean, um, SEO to me is more a, a means. It's not an end in itself. Um, so uh, I guess my answer is that it's ultimately a hybrid approach, but with the, 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 the story angle first, you know, finding the story. Uh, you're kind of forcing me into this question, Bob, but I'm going to ask this anyways. So what made Bob Libby become Bob Libby then? Because apparently I can't just start by asking what made you join Beijing. I need to start with what happened in the past that, that got you to this point. So so it, it sounds like a good question to go there then. Yeah, I guess I set myself <laughs> up for that, Tarshman. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think part of what set, my, set me up for this um, in, in a very positive way is that in, in past roles, I've really enjoyed building things, building practices, building functions, capabilities, um, working together, you know, collaborating with people to put, uh, to take something that isn't quite maybe where you want it. Um, and let's be honest, in communications with technology changing the way it is, it's, it's never really quite where we want it. So I certainly don't mean that critically, but, you know, expanding, you know, scaling, uh, uh, refining, extending, um, that's very exciting to me. And I've had that experience and, and done it in conjunction with um, strong analyt analytic systems that allow you to see the progress that your work is making, you know, and, and that certainly um, fell, um, this opportunity certainly ticked all of those boxes. I mean, there are others too, you know, in terms of what the company is committed to doing in terms of um, making um, medicines uh, more affordable and more accessible to billions more people around the world. That, that's a very appealing thing. And, um, you know, great science and, um, you know, people who really are committed um, to helping patients. So I guess all of those things come together and I could just keep going back and back and peeling the onion, but A, we don't have time and B, I'm not sure that really is engaging content <laughs> itself, so. I don't know, I, I find you to be quite engaging, but. We're gonna we're gonna sort of jump into what you just mentioned a few seconds ago, which was this idea that your past was in building functions. Now, as I see it, there there are multiple levels of building, right? The first level is 
you're you're collecting the bricks and going here are the fundamental building blocks and sort of creating that first initial structure and then you're sort of building on top um one job is more organization the other one is, is more growth what do you what did you sort of find yourself specializing in or did you do both well, I think by necessity, by necessity, I've done both, and, and this building um, piece has really been more recently in my career. And, and when I say recently in my career, that that means the last you know fifteen years or so. Like after I had done enough of this work in these various disciplines, communication disciplines, to have a clearer sense of um, where you wanted and needed to get to as a function, that obviously makes it much easier uh, to decide how to set about building um, a function. And um, so, you know, again, I think it's both. I think it's, you know, the organizational piece up front, and I think it's the growth piece after that. Of course, if you don't organize it properly in the beginning, you're not gonna have the potential to grow that you would otherwise. So, you know, it is very important to get it right from the beginning, but also give yourself the room to adjust as you go, um, because there are a lot of nuances to this uh, work obviously that depend on you know the industry you're in, uh, the, the composition of, of the colleague body, um, uh, the goals of the company, and so on. Um, so again, it's all it's always a mix. There are no black and white answers when it comes to communication. It's it's almost entirely on the scale of Greg. Well, the good news is that we we get to learn from experts like yourself on how that that gray transforms each time with, for each answer. Um, I know you have a tight deadline, so I'm going to ask one last question before sure. we, we start uh, pulling it together. Um, my, my last question to you is, you talked about how um, the, the growth is a, um, we talked about the two different types of growth, and you talked about how each has its strengths and weaknesses. Do you think it's important to have continuity, or do you see them as two different skill sets? And therefore, it's difficult to have someone work in both those skill sets because it's so different. But obviously, there are advantages and disadvantages. So, what what have you seen? What works best? Do you think? I think what works best is you know doing this work with people who can do both. And and I agree, they they are two different skill sets. But you know, I haven't run into a corporate communications department uh, for many years that had enough resources where you could start parsing out work at that level. Um, yeah. It's just that simple. Now, in, in any given team, you're going to have folks who are uh, more or less better at certain aspects, um, you know, and you make the most of those. But I think for the person leading a function and, and leading that kind of effort, they really do have to be able to live and live comfortably in both worlds. Well, very, very cool. As you know, I, I usually can go for hours and hours, especially with someone like you, Bob. So thank you again for joining us. I do have four questions, as you know, that I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to keep them tight because I have five minutes to do it. Uh, okay. my, my first question, based on what we've discussed, what would you like to ask the audience? Well, I, you know, sure. I mean, I'm always interested in uh, what is the biggest challenge in reaching employees um, and how maybe have you overcome that challenge? So that that's one question. Very cool. Uh, I try to answer that. I think my, my biggest challenge is, uh, at least in the remote workforce right now, keeping them focused on, on what we want to do 
and, and therefore reaching them now, not just during the work hours, but at a time that they are they find it convenient to be able to digest the information, I think is is difficult. I'm not sure I have an answer to the, of how you fix it, but that's that to me is a problem, especially with the new remote workforce. So that'd be my take. Um, my second my second question. Um, what is something you've learned in the last month? Something I've learned in the last month, actually very recently, is um, um, the importance of um, accurate translation and working oh. with expert translators. In the past, this is a function that was usually um, distributed among the markets uh, because of the composition of, of um, our workforce um, and how we work at Beijing. You know, we're we're doing uh, translation regularly, and um, you know, I'm certainly God. I couldn't be more appreciative of the folks who do this work uh, for us. But I actually was on the receiving end of it recently, where someone created something, the original document in the second language, and then they had it translated um, and sent to us in both languages, including English. And you know, there are elements that. Um, needed to be tweaked. Yeah. And I didn't see them all in the first read. I didn't even see them all in the second read. It's not like there were so many, but sure. is, it took me a good two or three reads to really appreciate what was there and what did need to be tweaked. Um, and all of a sudden, I had a much greater appreciation for what the translators are dealing with when we're sending them things um, in English. So... That's work, such a good... work with professional translators. Um, I just got Janan commenting again. Information overloads of reaching employees most successful. Uh, I guess she's commenting on my comment. Well, when done an innovative, maybe even non-digital way. That's an interesting comment. It is. Go non-digital. Yeah. Yeah. I um, so so um, last question for you. What's something that made you happy in the last week? Hmm. Something that made me happy in the last week is I actually um, I had had a, a trip planned um, before I accepted this role, before I knew I was going to be offered the role even, um, to go way up into the uh, northern woods of Maine and uh, go fly fishing. Incredibly remote, um, uh, very dark at night, uh, super quiet even during the day except for the loons out on the lake and um, always keeping an ear out for maybe a moose coming through the woods. You know, and I, I caught fish and I got to relax and, you know, it was a great place, kind of a throwback, um, you know, to before time, maybe even I was born and um, just uh, great to be out there and um, be in nature a little bit. Christine's commenting, she loves your appreciation for translation as well. So apparently this is a continuing issue that more than a few people have faced. Thank um, you, Christine. Thank you. <laughs> And, and um, Janan, thank you as well. And Bob, this was amazing having you on. I have one minute, so thank you again for coming on. And I hope, we, hope to have you back again soon. Yeah, that'd be great, Darshan. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Have a great Pleasure. day. Everyone, have a great day. Bye-bye. Take care.